Welcome to the Cantina Chatter Podcast. Turn up your nostalgia. everyone and welcome back. I'm Victoria, your host here on the Cantina Chatter podcast, your resource for new and retro toys, pop culture, and randomness from the 80s and 90s. It's great to have you with us as we relaunch the show into a slightly updated format. This month marks the three-year anniversary of Cantina Chatter, and for those keeping count, it's our 46th episode. Time flies! If you're wondering what's changing with this updated format, well, not a whole lot. We're still going to be producing two episodes per month, which release every other Monday. And we're still going to cover the latest toy news from our favorite franchises, with an emphasis on Star Wars, which has always made up the bulk of my toy collection. But you guys know, I can't help myself when it comes to great toys. I like tons of them. And uh, given the great reception to the previous episode in which me and Toy Shiz did a free-for-all on 20 plus different toy lines from the 80s and 90s, I want to make sure that we continue to talk about those going forward as well. Initially, I thought it might be the right time to move away from that and focus more on Star Wars, so that focus will increase where necessary, but so too will the focus on more great toy lines from the past and present. I'd also like to get back into more of the pop culture aspect of the show that it was heavy on in the early days, talking about movies and random things from the good old days for those of us who skew older millennial. You know, back before the internet, and veganism, and Justin Bieber. If you were a fan of the Jurassic Park episodes, remember that those are still going on. You just need to go over to Collect Jurassic World the podcast for all things Jurassic that I am producing and co-hosting with Tim from Collect Jurassic. It's been great fun chatting with Tim every other week, and uh, basically, if it's a week where there's no cantina chatter, there's a new episode of Collect Jurassic World. So there's always somewhere you can go to hear me babbling about toys and random things if you're so inclined. In this episode, we're going to see what's going on with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge over at Disneyland. This new land, the largest expansion in Disneyland history, opened last weekend, and our theme parks correspondent, Dan O from the fabulous Dan O channel on YouTube, was there to experience it firsthand. He's got lots to talk about, and we're all eager to hear what things are like on Planet Batuu. We'll also be hearing from our collecting correspondent, Tom Chorlton, in our collecting segment. Tom's got a breakdown of the latest Star Wars toy releases and news for us to catch up on. Alright, so as we relaunch the Cantina Chatter podcast, I am thrilled to welcome Dan O from the Dan O channel. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on to do this. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And you know, I'm a huge theme parks fan. I'm a huge Disneyland fan, as you know, and it just makes sense now that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a huge part of the Disneyland experience. Yeah, it's it's a massive part of the Disneyland experience now. It's going to be Disney World and then Disneyland Paris in a year or two. 
but yeah, Star Wars is a major, major part of Disney, and it I mean it always had Star Tours, but now with Galaxy's Edge, it's it's huge. Yeah, it's 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 really a big thing, and I mean going back in terms of the history of Disneyland, uh, this really is the first land within the park that has been dedicated to an entire franchise. So I know there's a lot of people that love that, and then there's a lot of people that don't love it so much. So <laughs> I wanna ask you, um, what is your stance as far as, you know, thinking back to when Galaxy's Edge was first announced, uh, what were your feelings on their announcement to bring a Star Wars-focused land to Disneyland? I was there in the room when they announced it at D23, uh, and I was stoked then, and I'm still stoked even after having been. Uh, I've always loved, you know, like I mentioned, Star Tours. That's been one of my favorite parts of Disneyland since I was a kid. Um, and just being able to expand on that and making a full land. You know, it was like Disney's answer to Wizarding World. Uh-huh. They saw that Universal had done this really immersive thing with Wizarding World. And they said, you know, we got to do our thing. But with one of the biggest franchises we have, that's Star Wars. And so I thought it was a perfect match. Yeah, I mean, it completely makes sense, especially from the standpoint that Disney did spend all this money to acquire Lucasfilm. And I mean, I think it was only a matter of time before they integrated Star Wars a little bit more heavily into the parks, just as they did all those years ago with Star Tours uh, with, through their partnership with George Lucas and Lucasfilm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it completely makes sense. I mean, my standpoint is... Uh, I mean, you know me. I'm the Disney history lover. I um, mm-hmm. I have a podcast dedicated to Disneyland's history. So when I first got this news, I was a little bit uncertain. I mean, I know that they had to sacrifice a lot of Walt Disney's original uh, elements to Disneyland in order to make this happen. Uh, the Rivers of America, they had to shrink them down quite a bit. Uh, they had to basically bulldoze over a lot of frontier land a lot of the elements that had been there from the 1950s are are now gone um things that luckily i i was able to document um probably about eight years ago now uh when i was going back and taking photographs of all the stuff that was left over from the extinct uh, attractions like mine train through nature's wonderland and things like that so yeah i definitely um, miss the goats that was actually one of my favorite parts of disneyland (laughs) was visiting and playing with the goats so that is kind of sad to see that stuff gone and Big Thunder Barbecue and even the like Festival of Fools Arena that used to be back there. Um, but, you know, after being to Galaxy's Edge, I think the sacrifice was worth it. Yeah, that's what you got to consider is the trade-off. I mean, even even before they, they did Galaxy's Edge, things like you mentioned, uh, the Petting Zoo and Big Thunder uh, Barbecue were there. Those had already covered up uh, some of those classic attractions like uh, Nature's Wonderland and the Mine Train. So... Uh, that stuff had already been long gone, replaced heavily by Big Thunder Mountain Railroad uh, in the 1970s. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was a sacrifice. I obviously haven't been to Galaxy's Edge quite yet, but from what I've seen from your coverage and from all the photos and videos people have been posting online, I mean, it definitely seems like they probably made the right decision ultimately in making those sacrifices in order to accommodate Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, Galaxy's Edge, I actually think, is one of those things that, like, that's this is what Disney's goal, what Walt Disney's goal was, was to have this real storytelling, immersive experience. You know, and they've tried with rides like, you know, Jungle Cruise and the way they built Adventureland. It, you know, I mean, all the themed lands, really, but, like, to me, Adventureland sticks out as this land that you know, there's kind of like a story to it with the way they did Jungle Cruise and mm-hmm. you're on this expedition. And even when I was like a teen, because I started going to Disneyland around 
2000. And I didn't even live nearby. I lived in New Mexico. And I would travel once or twice a year to Disneyland. And I fell in love hard. And one of my favorite parts was um, Adventureland. And I mean, even as like a, an older teen, I would sit there, just get really, try to really immerse myself in each specific land. And it was one of those things that was never really fully realized, but you could tell that's what Disney was trying to go for. And now to see that they've been able to really just do that with Galaxy's Edge, where everything from the food to the smells to the way the cast members talk to you is fully, you know, in story. It seems like a real realization of his original vision. And though it's in the Star Wars franchise, which a lot of people may not love and may think, oh, well, that's not Disney. The way they've achieved it feels very Disney. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that you make in that, uh, you know, Walt Disney did originally create these very immersive experiences in his park. And that was his ultimate goal was to basically put you in the middle of a film or in the very middle of an atmosphere that uh, could only be experienced up to that point, really, through uh, through film medium. Yeah, or and they were television. very limited by the technology at the time. You know, I mean, the mm-hmm. park was built in 55 and a lot of those newer, you know, the newer updates to those attractions were from the 60s and 70s. So now here we are, you know, some 50, 60 years later, and we have the technology to do that kind of stuff. And and it, I'm just excited to see how Galaxy's Edge expands, you know, 10 to 15 years from now, because there's room there for them to add stuff, here, you know, to make little changes and make it even better than what it already is. Absolutely. And I will say that while I might not agree completely with the uh, the way that they did sacrifice some of the things, like the Rivers of America being shortened quite a bit, mm. uh, I will say that the execution is has been like spot on. Like that experience, I think, is probably ultimately a little bit better because they did make a lot of enhancements around the rivers. Uh, the railroad uh, now has a little bit more of a prominent spot to kind of glide through the, the river, and uh, there's a lot more scenery, and it, it is a little bit more immersive overall. So. Uh, definitely the execution, the, the way they handled uh, making these changes is great. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to finally see Galaxy's Edge, hopefully hopefully pretty soon here. <laughs> You're going to lose it when you see it, I swear. Like, <laughs> I got so choked up in the first few minutes there. It was, it was, I also had no sleep, but, oh, uh, but it, it was, it's an intense experience the first time you go in there. There's a lot to take in. <laughs> I can imagine. That's, that's freaking awesome. Um, so, uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the time leading up to the opening of Galaxy's Edge. So there's been a lot of things, a little pieces of information that have made their way out, like the fact that they were going to do reservations in order to access Galaxy's Edge, at least initially. Uh, you've been doing a lot of coverage over on your YouTube channel. And um, so tell us a little bit about the lead up uh, to the opening of Galaxy's Edge and all the work that you've put into covering it. So we had a lot of silence. Actually, I mean, they announced it back in 2015. I believe it was 2015 at D23. And um, there wasn't a whole lot of news coming out until just, I mean, there's little, little bits coming out until this February. At the end of February, there was a large media dump where Disney had invited a bunch of, uh, you know, major news outlets, uh, Nerdist, you know, bigger, bigger mainstream news outlets out. And it was the end of February, and they had this dump of just info one night at like 10 o'clock at night. And it was all about the food. They had pictures from within the land. You know, very limited pictures, you know, because I think the floors weren't even done yet. But these people all were brought along to sample the food. 
to uh, see some of the attraction. They didn't get to ride Smuggler's Run attraction, but they did get to see a lot of what they'd built so far and some of the animatronics. And it was from that point, so February, late February of this year, that the hype really, really started. Uh, and it was at that point that I started kind of covering and really paying attention to everything because that was before there was a reservation system. Uh-huh. At that point, there were uh, rumors going around that there were going to be allowing, you know, overnight camping starting at 5 p.m. the night before. And I just I had a feeling even back as far as February, I remember having conversations with people that they have to implement some type of reservation system because the whole point of the land is immersion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure we all saw that photoshopped picture where it said, you know, expectation. And it was the Millennium Falcon area of the park and it was all empty, you know. <laughs> and then they said reality and it was a photoshopped crowd, like just covering it. Um, it you know, th- there's no way Disney was going to let that be a reality. And the way to keep that immersion is to limit how many people are in there at a said time. Just to make sure they can kind of control the experience and make it as good as possible. Um, because I don't know if you've been to any major Disney events, but they're, they're nuts. The last time I was at one was for the, uh, 24 hour day during the 60th anniversary. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that was insanity. I mean, the park hit capacity very early in the day. There were people who were stuck between security and getting into the park. Uh, personally, I knew some that were there for about eight hours, not inside the park, but waiting to get through security in downtown Disney only to get to like the Esplanade area or Esplanade, however you say it, uh, and then have to wait until about one in the morning just to be let in to California Adventure. And it was, I mean, it's its always been a crazy turnout with these events happen. And this past weekend, I think because of this reservation system, a lot of the local crowd that would normally show up and try to get in because they knew they didn't have a reservation and couldn't get in, the parks were dead all weekend. I've never seen Disneyland as quiet as it was in on a Saturday in the summer. It was it was it was great. That's crazy. But it was a little eerie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw a few photos uh, online about that. Um, one of my favorite uh, Disneyland news um, resources, MiceChat.com, was posting photos throughout the oh, weekend yeah. of how dead it was. And I was like, gosh, I mean, even if you weren't there for Galaxy's Edge, you know, if, if you were just there for Disneyland, period, it was that a great been... weekend to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it seems like it's quite the experience. So, um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, the way they've handled the reservations. So I think that's, you know, quite brilliant. I mean, obviously, they wanted to really control the, the rollout. They, they didn't want it to be a repeat of Disneyland's opening day back uh, July 17th, 1955, where... Um, people with counterfeit tickets showed up and the park was just absolutely packed and yeah. things got really crazy. So I think that having a, a, the specific rollout with reservations is a pretty wise uh, system for them to go with. Yeah, or even more recently when they opened the uh, the Pandora Land and uh, Animal Kingdom, that had like record, like people were waiting six hours for one of the attractions. Mm. And that's just, that's bad press. That when, yeah. the wor- when the word of mouth is that like, oh, the lines are ridiculous, it wasn't fun... I mean, that becomes the story, is that it wasn't fun. And I don't think Disney wanted any of that attached to this rollout. So they really tried their best to control that. And while there were a lot of lines, and it was a little hectic at times, uh, even with my four-hour reservation, I was able to get, I would say, 75% of the stuff done in that first four-hour reservation. Wow. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and... um. 
Yeah, I, I do know that they are going to lift the reservation thing. I think is it later in later this month, June June, June 24th. Uh, I think the 23rd is the last day for reservations and the 24th mm-hmm. they switch over to a virtual queue system. Okay. Yeah, so I wonder how that's going to impact um, this system because obviously if they're doing away with it, I wonder if it's going to be like a free for all where you ha- you do have those 6-hour lines or if they're going to have another system possibly in place to kind of manage that better. It's just it's curious. Yeah, from what I saw during cast member testing, I've had a lot. The fun part about doing all this coverage is I've had a lot of people reach out to me, like through private messages saying, hey, don't mention my name, but I work for the company and this is what we're doing during the preview. So it's been neat to have all these people reach out. Hmm. But one of the people who was part of the um, the cast member testing of the virtual queue mentioned that, you know, they did it. I think it was last not last Friday during the opening, but the week before uh, it was just cast member preview and they weren't doing the four-hour sessions, but they were doing the virtual queue. And they said it seemed to clear out after about five hours is when it really started to, like... At first, it was crazy because it always is right at the beginning of things. Mm -hmm. But by about four or five hours in, most people had done everything they needed to do and naturally just left. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, so... And then it was uh, shortly before that that Disney had sent out the text. Well, it's not really a text, but it's a website you basically open this website and refresh it and it'll tell you if your group is allowed to go. And so they'll tell you at launch bay, okay, just, this is your group, group B, uh, here's your code, put that in and just refresh the website and they'll tell you when, when you're allowed to go in. And when you get the clearance, you head on over to the entrance, they tell you to go in and you're good to go. So it seems like there's a natural sort of process. They figured out the optimum amount of time that people will just be there. And then I wouldn't say get bored, but know that they've done all they can do mm-hmm. and then just, you know, kind of leave the land on their own. Uh, when I was there for the first session, even though, like I said, we did about 75% of the stuff we wanted to do the first session, um, we still wandered around the land for another two hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, you know, we weren't buying anything. We weren't getting on rides or going in shops, but we were just wandering around using the uh, interactive Play Disney app mm-hmm. and hacking data pads and transmitting signals and so we were enjoying the land itself for another two hours past our time and so you know it's one of those things where you know we weren't in line we weren't taking up space in line so there is a natural flow and i think disney is they're still going to be figuring it out so i imagine june 24th might be a little messy but one to two weeks after that they'll probably have it dialed in pretty well right on yeah yeah that's uh that's good to know uh i definitely really like the idea of virtual queuing and reservations and i think you know that might be the way to, to go going forward not just with star wars land but disneyland as a whole because I, I know when me and my husband go like that's always the thing for us is how long are we gonna have to wait in line okay this this ride has an hour and a half wait i don't want to wait that long i'm gonna go you know watch a show instead and uh, i think that's the case you know any theme park you go really you have to wait in line to to go on a ride or to see a, a show or whatever but uh, yeah, I think if they could really nail and iron out the kinks in this sort of a system and uh, roll it out maybe resort-wide, that uh, it could really be a game-changer for the way that people visit Disney parks. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing something like that work out. Yeah, and, and you know, in the last year or so, Disney's really pushed towards something like that. Uh, when they rolled out MaxPass, which mm-hmm. is you know really letting you cater your FastPass experience through a phone app. You can, you know, if you, you pay extra, so it's a service, but you get pretty good money's worth because you get to, to choose what time you're going to ride these rides. And now even further, they've added the Flex Pass annual passport, uh, where 
now you you can save a couple hundred dollars off the price of an annual pass, but the expense is you have to make reservations. Uh-huh. So you can't just show up after work. If you're a local, you'd have to plan it out by going into the app and reserving for that day. Now, not all days require reservations. There are certain days that are open. You can just show up, but most of them are days that require reservations. But it's one of those systems where if you do that and you can make your reservations 30 days out, not only you know are you planning your, your stuff a little bit better, but Disney has a better idea of who's going to be showing up those days. And I mm-hmm. think they're using that tech and the Max Pass to really keep track of people's habits and what they do when they're planning out their time at their parks. So in the next couple of years, as those things change and they learn more about our habits, I think they're they're going to have it really, really like nailed down and be able to offer that kind of experience you're talking about. Yeah, that, that'll be really cool to see. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the future of uh, queuing for for an attraction is, because uh, it seems like it's a it's a much smoother system and you mitigate the amount of time you have to wait in line. And, you know, you can utilize that time by doing other things and, you know, getting more bang for your buck because uh, we all know it's it's not cheap to go to to disneyland or to these no parks. no it's not it's definitely a luxury experience it's not something that you know it's not for everyone unfortunately but it, yeah it's one of those things you, you really gotta want it because that price keeps going up higher and higher every year uh, actually it's something i was wondering while we were there and it was so quiet this weekend is has disney finally priced out the local because for years in like early 2000s, um, they were press- pushing really, really hard for the annual pass program for locals. And around 2000, I want to say three or four is when they really started pushing the monthly payment option. And what it did is it ballooned the the number of annual pass holders locally, which mm-hmm. ended up kind of becoming a little bit of a problem. Um, what they ended up with was a lot of customer, a lot of guests who would go and they would hang out. They would be the after work guest or they would be the, you know, like just the weekend. But what they ended up with is more guests who spent less money, but took up just as much space, you know, Uh as the out of town, someone coming from across the other side of the country or even from another part of the world, they show up and they are ready to spend a lot of money because this is their, you know, big vacation for the year. Right. You know, so they had, they ended up with a problem kind of like that. And year after year, they keep removing benefits on the local passes and increasing the prices kind of to find that yeah that equilibrium where it's not going to be so crowded but you know the locals who really want it can still get it but it's not going to be as you know bloated as it was in the mid 2000s so i think maybe you know my thought was when i saw how dead the park was the other day i was like i wonder if they finally found it or if people are just really staying away because they were afraid of the galaxy's edge crowds yeah could could very well have been and uh i know i got my my first uh disneyland passport i think it was 2008 and uh, it was it was the payment plan that you know drew me to it i mean i at the time it was the premium pass which was like the one that didn't have any blackout dates and oh yeah i uh i had that for gosh maybe like four years four or five years and back then how much did it cost like five six hundred maybe I think it was 500 when I first got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and that time period is about 500. Now, what is it, 1799, I believe, for the it's, one with no blackout days? It's crazy. It's, it's gone crazy. up a lot, but again, they're trying to incrementally up that price and just find that spot where they don't have too many annual pass holders. Yeah, and I mean that was a problem. I mean, I I was there like maybe every 2 weeks or so, which I lived pretty close. I lived maybe like 20 minutes from the park at the time, but um, it, it did become quite a bit of a problem because, like you say, there were people that were just going after work or they were going on Friday when they when they got off school or 
um you know on sundays sundays i think was like the worst day cause sunday that's when... was the day yeah that was <laughs> that was local day for sure yeah and um it, it got really insane and i I, rem- I recall reading some of the things that you're mentioning about um you know they're they're not big spenders if you know they can come to disneyland anytime they want and you know kind of treat it more as their personal you know little uh you know neighborhood park or whatever but yeah um, and which is yeah. fine, you know, it's cool to have like all the locals there and it's it's awesome to see like a lot of these social clubs and stuff that have erupted from it. But uh-huh. at the same time for from Disney's end, you've got people taking up just as much space but not spending as much money and they're a business and at the end of the day all we are is dollar signs. So, exactly. you know, you, they have to look at it that way. Exactly, totally. All right. So, um I want to get into your experience at Galaxy's Edge. So, uh, finally, the day comes. You've you've done all the coverage. You've you've researched everything, and you finally walk in to this new land, this new Star Wars land in Disneyland. Uh, what are your first impressions? The details are just stunning. Every inch is like weathered. Like every inch tells a story in this place. Um, so I start. I lined up at about four thirty in the morning, uh, and I got there, and there was maybe a hundred people lined up. Uh, just outside the gates to Disneyland, and they let us in around five, and we waited in Tomorrowland to get our reservations. And they finally let us like into Galaxy's Edge, like proper the land, uh, about fifteen minutes early. So it was about seven forty-five, and it was just a horde of people with their phones and cameras in the air recording this like <laughs> this crazy <laughs> this crazy experience. And as we were going in, uh, we were greeted by Disneyland Resort president you know a lot of the higher up execs lucasfilm people were there um it it was it was just neat because they were all clapping everybody was you know saying bright suns bright suns which is the uh the batuis way of saying hello uh in the morning (laughs) you can also say rising moons in the evening um yeah there's a lot of like lingo that the cast members have that are specific to batu but you know we're walking in there and we're kind of following the crowd because we don't know exactly where to go and so we're just trying to feel things out and we head up and we turn the corner past the cantina and I see the Millennium Falcon and I, I, I'm literally at a loss for words. Like I, I have recording it on video and I get choked up and I could feel my eyes start to well up a little bit because I'm like, uh-huh. oh my goodness, this is real. Like this is really a full size. I'm in Star Wars. I've been waiting That's... for this moment since I was a kid and it's real and I'm there and I can touch it. It's it's like right there. It was a it was such a cool moment. That's incredible. I mean, I can only imagine and um yeah, I mean that that's one thing that I I've, I've I've heard from uh articles that I've read and heard from people that have gone is that yeah, the the level of detail they've they've uh, created in this land is is just unmatched so far by, by anything they've done. Yeah. Yeah, nothing there's, there's not a land I can think of that comes close to this. And it's it, it just They went the extra mile with this Play Disney app because not like let's say it's too busy for you to go make a lightsaber or build a droid or wait for the cantina to grab a drink. The land itself is its own attraction. Every couple feet, there's another door panel for you to hack. And if you're using that Disney Play app, there's jobs you can take and factions you can choose to be a part of. And one of the cooler features in the app is I chose to be a smuggler for a little while, take some smuggler jobs. And I was able to download what's called a data skimmer. And I basically placed this data skimmer onto a doorway in the land. And you could see it like actually react and light up. 
And anytime someone else did the puzzle on that door, I would take some of their credits. So when I returned two hours later, I had a bunch of bonus credits because I had hacked the door. So this whole, like, the whole land, everything is totally interactive. Uh, there's a giant Thai Echelon ship where the First Order landed. Uh-huh. And I was able to hack that ship. And you can't really see it during the day, but we went a second session the next day at night. And you can, when you hack the Thai Echelon, the full ship, you, it's a harder puzzle to do. But when you do hack it, you can see that the lights kind of dim and it makes a specific like sound like it's being messed with. Hmm. And there's little elements like that throughout the entire land that really let you feel like, you know what, I'm affecting this. I am oh. part of this thing. Yeah, that that's crazy. I mean, I know Disney has been uh, you, kind of doing things on a different level for a few years now. I think Cars Land opened back in 2012. And uh, at that time, I mean, it was, it was possibly like their first real attempt at creating an entire land based off a singular franchise. And uh, I mean, that, that was people were raving about how detailed and how immersive that was and then they go and do pandora and you know people are saying pretty similar things and um now you have galaxy's edge so it sounds like it sounds like they get more and more yeah they're incrementally just stepping it up a notch each time they do it yeah that's that that's awesome so um currently uh there are two attractions in the land and only one of them is open at this point is that correct that's correct yeah only smugglers run is open and rise of the resistance is coming later this year Okay, so we got to hear a little bit about Smuggler's Run, because obviously this is one of the biggest things you can do in Galaxy's Edge. So tell us a little bit about this attraction. So Smuggler's Run, it's right where the Millennium Falcon is. It's like the big attraction right now. It's very similar to a Star Tours kind of ride, you know, a motion simulator type deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the story of this one is Hondo Onaka from Clone Wars and from Rebels, if you're familiar. Uh, He is basically, Chewie needs to fix the Millennium Falcon. And so Hondo has said, let me borrow the ship and we'll make some credits and then we'll get you your parts. So he's there's different missions that you can go on during the current reservation periods. They're only running one mission, but there will be three different ones that we know of. Hmm. Uh, but in the actual ride, the queue, of course, it's a Disney queue. So it's crazy, full of detail. It's like you're in a mechanic shop uh, and they're kind of like fixing up the Falcon. There's like droid pieces everywhere. And again, to that app, there's droids and boxes you can scan while waiting in line in the queue to do some of those puzzles and hack some stuff as well. So that's another thing. But um, you get to see an animatronic Hondo, which is the most advanced animatronic they've ever made. And he moves very, very like lifelike. And the sound is voiced by uh, Jim Cummings. So it sounds just like Hondo because it is Hondo. Nice. And they've got a like a replica lounge of the Falcon, you know, with the Dejeric hollow chest table and there's like pork nests everywhere. <laughs> and you get about two to three minutes in that little lounge area to just kind of explore the Falcon before you wow. go into the cockpit. And it's again, every inch you can like if you look on the floor, you can see the the smuggling compartments, you know, where it's, the floor's a little bit different. Where he would hide stuff under the floorboards. <laughs> uh, every every details there. The part where Han and Leia first kiss, you can find that. You know, there's there's all kinds of like neat spots that are very real to us Star Wars fans, and they're realized. And we can go up and touch them and stand in that area or sit in those seats. And then you get into the cockpit, and it's uh, it's been modified. So there's six seats instead of just the uh, four. And there's three positions. You can either be a pilot. There's two pilots, two gunners who sit in the middle rows, and then the back rows are engineers. 
the left pilot, I believe, controls the up and down of the ship. The right pilot controls the left and right and also the hyperdrive. The gunners, they each take care of each side. So if, say, there's a TIE fighter shooting you on the left, the left side gunner would have to hit buttons on their left to make the... um, to basically fire blasters and shoot it. And if they miss and the TIE fighter shoots us, that's where the engineer steps in. The engineer Mm -hmm. has to start hitting all these buttons on the side. And they light up green to tell you which ones to hit. Uh, But they're to your left while the screen is straight ahead. So if you can imagine, you've got your left arm kind of like bent, trying to smack all these buttons and watch that to your left, while also trying to enjoy the ride in front of you. So unless you're a pilot, if you're a gunner or an engineer, you get a little bit of a lesser experience just because you're, you know, you. I mean, you can choose to be focused on the screen or be focused on the buttons, but they do grade you afterwards. Uh-huh. They give you, like, points, and they don't really do anything, but they will give you credits that go in your Disney Play app. So it's all, it's all tied together. Uh, and the engineer isn't just fixing stuff. I mean, it, it is when the pilots bump into things, the engineer has to fix it. <laughs> but in uh, the particular mission they're running now, you have to get crates of coaxium. And part of being an engineer is you have to harpoon the coaxium. So there's like a little mini game that pops up on your screen where you have to like wait for the right moment and then start, you know, smacking the button really fast to do the harpoon. And if you don't do that, oh. then it goes against the whole mission for your entire team. So it's definitely a a teamwork game slash attraction. And of course, you know, it's video screens. The whole thing's moving like Star Tours does. I wouldn't say it's as intense as Star Tours, but but it's just as fun. And it's like super interactive. Yeah, it's it's a really neat experience. And it's, you know, one of the one of the cooler attractions Disney's come out with in a long time. That's awesome. I mean, I've I've kind of been staying away from details of, you know, what all this ride entails. um, uh, And but. I mean, hearing the way that you relate it, you know, just how everybody has has a role and, you know, the fact that you can kind of go in and explore the Falcon and actually pilot it or, or uh, gun it or, as you mentioned, uh, the engineers, mm-hmm. uh, that's just really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. And you can also put it on like autopilot. There's something you can ask from what I've heard is you can ask the cast member to kind of put you in an autopilot where... It does a lot of the work for you and you're graded a little more leniently, but you don't have to do as much. You can really just sit and enjoy the ride and not do the interactive play element if that's not your thing. Oh, wow. So you mentioned that it's in groups of six. So um, how does that work? So if you're, if you're in a, a group or a family that maybe has like like five people, do they put somebody else that's maybe riding single or what is that um, like? They do have a single rider line. So that is an option. Um I believe they can still run the ride with just five people. They would put basically the leftover position into an autopilot mode so your team doesn't get dinged. Yeah, they, they definitely thought things through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, if let's say you get, and I think if you do too terribly, it automatically puts you in an autopilot mode. So let's say you get like a, you know, five-year-old who's in the pilot seat and just wants to like, you know, move the thing back and forth and bang everything up. The whole team doesn't get penalized. It automatically kind of senses that and throws them into that autopilot mode, which makes the experience a little bit better for everybody. (laughs) That is pretty cool. I like that. Um, Yeah, so having experienced this attraction, like if you, it's kind of hard to compare Disneyland attractions because they're all so different, but how would you rate it in terms of, uh, you know, the all-time, you know, greats, like the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, Space Mountain, like where does does, um, Smuggler's Run 
uh, kind of rank if you were to kind of assign it a, a position. Hmm. You know, I to me, it kind of feels like, um, you know, the new Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout. Uh huh. It's it's in that tier where it's really themed and it's really cool. It's not the best ride ever. Okay. Um, but it is really, really detailed. And, you know, what they've done with the technology of the, using the screens and integrating that into the motion of the ride, I would kind of put it in that same tier as Mission Breakout. Right on. Yeah, that's definitely a fun ride. And another one that drew the ire of a lot of Disney fans. When yeah, yeah. They uh, they transformed it. But, um, yeah, no, that, that's really good to know. And, um, uh, of course, they're still developing or finishing up uh, the second attraction that's opening later this summer. Uh, Rise that's of the Resistance. supposed to be amazing. That's supposed to be like a multi multimedia experience kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I'm hearing rumors. Uh, I don't know if you've you've heard the same that this is going to be like over 20 minutes of a ride. I, I don't know if it's going to be 20. I heard 28 minutes is what I heard as well. Um, but I don't know if that that's correct for a ride, but more of 28 minutes for when the experience starts mm -hmm. to when the ride is over. But I think the actual ride portion where you're in a ride vehicle is probably closer to three to five minutes. Okay. But because like I was saying, it's a multi kind of like a multimedia experience. There's, I don't know if you want me to go into the details on this or not, or if it's too spoilery, uh, but I can kind of give you a brief overview yeah, let's do that. And uh, for our listeners, uh, just a heads up that, you know, we're going to spoiler territory potentially here. So yeah, I'll try to go a little light on it just because I don't know a whole like exact details, but I can give you a, a pretty good rundown of what that attraction is going to be. Cool. OK, so in the resistance area, which in, you know, Black Spire Outpost or all of Batuu Galaxy's Edge is split up into kind of three parts. There's the right side, which is where the First Order land. There's this Black Spire Outpost itself which is the middle area where all the shops and everything is. And then to the left over by Critter Country is the Resistance Outpost. And in the Resistance Outpost, there's these caves. It's kind of a like an ancient area. And the queue wanders through these caves. And in this area, once you've waited in line, you have some kind of meetup with one of the main characters, either Ray, BB-8, something like that. And they basically guide you. They You watch a video with them, and they guide you to get into a ship. And it's a full-size ship that you get into. Like, you run past Poe's X-Wing, and you get into a large ship, and the ship takes you up into space, and you get board, or you basically get into a tractor beam of a Star Destroyer. Hmm. And so when you exit the ship through Disney Magic, you're in the full-sized hull of a Star Destroyer with full-sized TIE Fighters around you and tons of Stormtroopers. Oh, wow. Uh, and at this point, you're still on foot. You're not in the ride ride yet this is all part of the show uh, but I'm sure that takes probably 15 minutes in itself to go through all of that so this is where the time kind of hits that 28 minute mark uh -huh. uh, so from there you get put into a detention cell and there's supposed to be some type of you know encounter with Kylo Ren and some bad guys and you see some of the newer characters Poe Finn or Ray I believe someone helps you escape that kind of thing and uh, you then you get into a vehicle and your vehicle is you going through the Star Destroyer, finding your way back, and you go back through the ship on which you came, and then you land back on Batuu. And so, yeah, that's so why I don't want to go into too many details of what happens, but that's kind of an overview of you start out by doing this experience where you go to space, and you're on foot, you get captured, and then you do the ride. So I think altogether, about 20, 28 minutes sounds about right, but for the ride itself, probably about three to five. Right on. So these... um. 
you, you mentioned that we might see Kylo Ren, Ray, and and Vin and Poe. Are yeah. these supposed to be like audio animatronics, or or is this a screen, or what have you heard on those? I think it's a mixed bag of both. I've heard that uh, it's definitely screen, but I believe there is animatronics of plenty of stormtroopers and Kylo Ren. Okay. Yeah, Kylo Ren definitely seems like the one that they could get away with as an audio animatronic. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't really get away with like an animatronic Ray. I mean, you could, it just wouldn't look very good. Uh, but with stuff like Hondo and Smuggler's Run, that works pretty well because he's, you know, he's an alien. So you have a little less, you have a little more to work with as far as how they move and everything. Um, but when it's a human and they're just, you know, you can definitely tell when it's an animatronic human. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but that sounds really cool, though. Um, it's going to be really neat when uh, when that opens. Are you anticipating a trip back at that point or what? Are oh, your yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, I upgraded to one of those flex passes. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't had an annual pass in years, but I decided it was time because Galaxy's Edge. Uh, so, yeah, I'll definitely be making multiple trips out throughout the summer just to go visit. I'm actually going back this upcoming Saturday. I've got oh, another wow. session uh, from 11 to 3, so I'll be back out there just getting more footage and trying some of the food and stuff that I missed out on. <laughs> Very cool. So let's talk about some of the merchandise because we know that that's been a huge draw for people like us who like to buy stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so they have shops and uh, they have things like, uh, you know, build your own lightsaber. So tell us a little bit about the stores and uh, the things that you purchase there. So two of the bigger stores are also attractions slash experiences. Uh, one of them you mentioned is the build your own lightsaber. So that's Savi's Workshop. Uh, and it's kind of nice that they have like this story built into it where you can't show up and be like, hi, I want to build a lightsaber. They'll look at you and be like, oh, we don't know anything about lightsabers. <laughs> so the story is they are the gatherers, a bunch of junk scavengers. And uh, they basically scavenge all this junk. And they secretly, behind closed doors, teach people how to build lightsabers. So when you find him, you tell him, you know, I'm looking for some scrap metal. You don't have to tell him that. There's blatantly a line when you show up because of how busy it is right now. And maybe that'll change down the road. But uh, the story is, is that they're a bunch of, you know, junk dealers. And it's a really neat show. It's $200 for this custom built lightsaber. It's it's pricey. But it's also like full metal. You get to make it and you get a really good, like top quality show with lighting and sound and special appearances from Star Wars characters in audio form. Um, and I think the $200 price tag is worth it. But, you know, it's for each person to decide on their own based on their budget. But the other experience they've got, which is nearby, is the Droid Depot. Uh -huh. And that's where you get to create your own custom astromech, either a BB unit or an R2 unit. And it's another one that's it's a little pricey. It's $99 per droid. But they're remote-controlled droids that interact with the land. Hmm. So if you're in like a first order area and they sell these personality chips, um, there's two of each kind and there's smuggler chips, first order chips and resistance chips. And if you have a resistance chip in your droid and you're over in the first order area, they might give you kind of like worried sounding beeps and vice versa. And then the smuggler ones are kind of all over the place with what they do. Uh. And allegedly the droids interact with each other. I bought two of them and I've got them both at home and I can't get them to do anything with each other <laughs> regardless of what chip is in there. So I think it might just be limited to when you're at Galaxy's Edge. Um, but I'm still doing more research on it. I think it might interact with other parts at Disneyland as well. Hmm. So I really, I'm, I'm just like determined to make that 
$200 I spent on these droids worth it. So I'm trying to find anything that they can do. <laughs> uh, but it is a really fun experience to build them anyways. And that's one of the cooler like retail shops because they also have other stuff there. Patches, action figures, a $25,000 R2-D2 replica oh, that wow. you can have custom made. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot. The prices are all over the place. They are <laughs> yeah. a little bit high for Disney. They're you know a couple dollars more than your average Disney store pricing. Um, it's same with like the food too. But those are the two big ones. There's also Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, which sells stuff like holocrons, kyber crystals, and those are really neat toys too. But they also sell high end artwork that's like three hundred ninety five dollars per painting and they're really nice paintings you can get jedi robes there as well you can get jedi artifacts and busts of old sith lords uh it's a lot of really neat stuff but it's also an attraction like going in there and looking around on the walls you see a lot of cool stuff like a stuffed wampa the ark of the covenant i believe is somewhere in there from indiana jones and there's just oh. detail <laughs> built into every inch of these places um, trying to think the other shops we've got are there's a toy Darien toy maker which is a toy shop and all the toys are they're supposed to look handmade so a lot of the stitching on the stuffed animals and you know they look like very they I mean obviously they're not they're probably made in China but they have the, <laughs> they have the look of being handmade and there's wooden toys like wooden x-wings wooden tie fighters and they have a really cute kind of style to them and there's also a creature stall where you can adopt cool creatures like porgs and kawaki and lizard monkeys, which is my favorite. I definitely adopted one of those. Nice. <laughs> uh, they even have loath cats, though. My, my little pro Ooh. tip to anyone who's going to the creature stall is get a loath cat. They are $45. I believe they're 45 Let me look at them. I've got them right next to me. But it's one of the best deals. Yeah, $45. And it does more than most. I didn't realize it. I don't want to spoil it for you because I want you to get one and then read the little tag and see everything it does. But it's one of the coolest plushies ever. And me being a 36-year-old man, you know, not every day I'm buying plushies, but this one I had to have. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they also had, I'm trying to think what the last couple stores were. There was, uh, I think it's Jewels of Bith or something like that. But it's like a, it's the souvenir store. It's where you buy not stuff that's Galaxy's Edge branded. Because on Galaxy's Edge, you wouldn't buy stuff that says Galaxy's Edge or Star Wars. So uh -huh. you won't see any of, any of that when you're in the land. Everything is, you know, made to look like you would really buy it there. So even the loaf cat tags and everything, they'll just say like creature stall, but they won't say Star Wars or anything like that on them. Mm. Um, but the Jewels of Bith, I believe is what it's called. That's where you can buy magnets, keychains that say Black Spire Outpost, as if you were to visit like Niagara Falls or something and buy, uh -huh. you know, their souvenir stuff with their own name huh. on it. That's what this store is. And then I think the last one was the uh, Black Spire Outfitters, where you can buy Jedi robes and cloaks and clothing that looks like Rey's clothing. But unfortunately, you can't wear the Jedi robes if you're an adult. Kids can, and they're encouraged to. But if you're 14 or over, Disney will ask you not to. Yeah, I think I heard something about that, um, that which is interesting because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I understand where they're coming from. I mean, they obviously don't want confusion between, you know, people that are... Uh, you know, cast members that are acting in the la in the land, and um, you know, just guests who who maybe look the part. But it it seems like a bit of a bummer that uh, that you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, I was a little disappointed. And uh, what some people are doing, I don't know if you've seen this online, but they're kit bashing their phone cases 
to look like data pads. So when they're going around using the app, it's kind of like a workaround. So you know, you won't let us dress up. So let's dress up our phone cases and make those <laughs> in world. Um, and that's been really neat to see what the community has been doing with that. Very cool. Um, so going back to the lightsabers, uh, if if you were to to go and do that, could you bring people with you that maybe weren't building a lightsaber? Initially, they said you could bring one guest, but I've heard accounts of them opening it up to at least two guests. Okay. So you can't bring a whole family because it is kind of a small space inside there. Um, there's not a ton of room, but there's stations for about 14 people. And again, it is a show and they're on a schedule. So the show takes about 15 minutes. I think 14 is what my video showed. Um, so they try to stay on script and move you along while building your lightsaber, which is why they have you choose one of four themes. That way you're not overloaded with options and take forever to build your lightsaber. They mm. basically limit you to these four themes and you choose before you pay, you choose which one you want. And, um, and yeah, you can, like I said, you can bring, you can bring a guest or someone, you know, to experience it with you. But uh, it is very limited. Right on. Uh, I also heard that you could buy like actual um, like representations of lightsabers from characters from the films and, and TV. Is that the case? Yeah. At Doc Ondar's uh, Den of Antiquities, they have the Legacy Collection lightsabers. And these are these are really nice lightsabers. And one thing I actually just found out last night because I purchased the uh, the Jedi Temple Guard from Star Wars Rebels. Oh, wow. I purchased that lightsaber. It was one hundred and nine dollars. For just the hilt, they sell blades separately for forty-four and forty-nine dollars each. I believe they're thirty-six and forty-six inches, something like that, uh, around that range. I don't, I'm not right on the inches. I know it, but I'm right on the prices. But <laughs> those blades don't work in the custom lightsabers, and the blades that come with the custom lightsabers don't work in the legacy lightsabers. So if you're planning on buying huh. one, just so you guys know, you have to buy a separate blade at Doc Ondar's to match the legacy collection. Very interesting. Um, from what you saw, would you say that the quality of, of the blades and whatever effects they make are pretty comparable? Yeah. You know what? I'm, I haven't tested out the, uh, the durability yet, but it feels like it's a really high quality blade. Um, I would say comparable to like an Ultra Sabers. I own two Ultra Sabers with the, the thicker uh, combat ready blade and just the feel of them in my hands feels very, very similar. Um, but the ones from Savi's workshop and the ones that, you know, they have at Doc Onders that go with the legacy, mm -hmm. they're, they're like, they have lights, they have, you know, an led strip in them that gradually lights up and okay. there's a little bit more options. You know, you get more, I'd say bang for your buck kind of with these, hmm. than you do something like ultra sabers, um, just because, you know, paying more for something that gradually lights up like that, you don't really see. And the soundboards are usually very expensive as well on those type of custom, you know, lightsaber experiences we had previous. And this is uh -huh. an all-in-one solution. Yeah, that's so, pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I think I think they're totally worth it, especially $109 for an all-metal Jedi Temple guard lightsaber, which you don't really see. It's really well made. Like, it's got a good weight to it, very high quality. Uh, and they range up to $199, I believe, for Ahsoka Tano's lightsabers. But you're getting two of them. Okay. So there's yeah, two of them. Yeah. Those are the ones that come out. I definitely want to get Ahsoka Sabers at some point. Yeah. Yeah. They look really cool. And what's neat about those blades, I was saying, uh, the blades are coded inside so they know which hilt they're being attached to. So hmm. if you place it in Luke's, it knows to light up green. Or if you place it in the Jedi Temple Guard, it'll turn yellow and Ahsoka's oh, wow. will be white. 
but it's just the same blade you can use in all of those hilts. That is amazing. Yeah. So would you say that the uh, the overall brightness and, and such is pretty comparable to a Force Effects lightsaber and maybe then some? Yeah. Yeah, I would say overall brightness is just about the same. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that, that does sound very intriguing. And sounds like the as far as the colors go, they're limited to what we see in TV and uh, film. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, that is accurate. Okay, so you can't go and make like an orange or a black or... No, something. no. Now, they do have a black crystal. I mentioned they sell kyber crystals. So at that Doc Ondar's shop, they sell like different colored crystals. Um, the ones that are different from the custom lightsabers you build at Savi's, they sell yellow and white. But they sell all the rest too. But if you buy the red, there's a 1 in 100 chance that you can get a black crystal. Hmm. Now, the black crystal still causes your lightsaber to light up red. But when you place it in the holocron, it's supposed to unlock the voice of Snoke. Interesting. Yeah, and there's like different red crystals. So you could get a red crystal that would be Count Dooku or a red crystal that's Kylo Ren or Darth Vader. So there's reason to buy multiples of these little crystals and put them in your holocrons to see who they unlock. And they also unlock different sounds on your custom lightsaber. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of like levels of stuff. And one thing uh, I should point out, since we're talking about these legacy lightsabers and the custom ones, the legacy lightsabers like Ahsoka's and the Jedi Temple Guard, they don't use crystals. That's not an option for those. So you can't swap out the color. They're just pre-coated with the color. Like I said, yellow for the Temple Guard, white for Ahsoka, and so on. You, they just get the normal color. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So these legacy lightsabers, are they just like on display and you go and grab them? Or what is they, the setup They're like? under glass. They're under a glass case behind the counter. And so there's a cast member there working, you know, talking to Doc Ondar, this big animatronic Ithorian. Uh, and he kind of grumbles every once in a while and they talk to him back. But you go up to the counter and you, you know, point out which one you want and they'll get it out for you. And they come in a nice, like, big plastic case. Um, uh-huh. And it opens up, and it's got, like, cloth on the inside where it holds it. And it's a nice presentation. Uh, but, they, yeah, they, they come in this nice little case, so you don't have to lug around just a lightsaber hilt. Right on. So you're not necessarily buying what's on display. They kind of come in a case out from exactly. the Exactly, yeah. They reach down okay. underneath the glass case and kind of pull them out. They have stock down there. Right on. Yeah, this, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited about all this. I hope I can see it really soon. Um, so yeah, so they do have some exclusive Star Wars action figures there for Black Series. Were those available in pretty abundant numbers? Yeah, they had them all over. They had them not only in uh, Galaxy's Edge, but over in Tomorrowland at Star Traders. They uh-huh. had them there too, and they had plenty of every set. Right on. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Cantina. The cantina had the longest wait. <laughs> that was the thing we like. So we had to come back on day two and our main focus was the cantina because that's what we missed out on on day one. So the lineup process was a little weird. We had to basically we went up to the line and they said, oh, we're not allowing people in line anymore. But hmm. if you wait across the way on those benches, we might let you in line in a little bit. So and they just kept telling people that and everybody was waiting across the street, like looking <laughs> frantically, waiting for a cast member to open the lineup. And they would quietly meander over to the benches and like say, OK, I'll take the next 10 people like very quietly. And then everybody would get up and go over and get in line. We waited about an <laughs> hour to get in and you get in this place and it is it's the cantina. It looks just like. The cantina on Moss Eisley, like everything in there looks right on. Wow. And you've got DJ Rex, who is uh, formerly the RX24 from Star Tours. 
voiced by Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubin, <laughs> uh, you know, spinning music. And it's very loud. It was very busy just because they're trying to get as many people in as possible during this opening period. So the service wasn't the best. But again, those cast members are doing the best with what they can. Uh -huh. um, and the drinks were all so cool. Like every drink had its own specialty cup. It was all served in you know, a specific cup. And it wasn't like a regular pint glass or anything. They were all very like specific shapes. And it was very Star Wars. It just felt so Star Wars. All the drinks had neat, like, exotic flavors. Most of them were sugary drinks, being that it's a Disney Resorts bar. Uh, but there was one, the Jedi Mind Trick, that was actually very floral. So mm. if you're going there and sweet drinks aren't your thing, I would say get the Jedi Mind Trick. It's huh. uh, it's a little bit on the bitter side. And the first time you drink it, if you, especially if you've already had one of the sweet drinks, the first sip will definitely play a trick on your mind. Because I drank it, my wife ordered it. And I took a nice sip of it after having the jet juice, which is the strongest drink, uh, but it's also very small but and sweet. I had that, and then I went over to the Jedi mind trick, and I just like made a face of like, whoa, what just hit me? What is that? Uh, and that was, yeah, the Jedi mind trick. It's a very like floral, it's some kind of floral liqueur they put in there. Um, but they have neat stuff with foam, like the fuzzy tauntaun, which supposedly the foam, it's called buzz foam, will make your mouth numb. I didn't get to try that one. But I've heard a lot of people saying that it makes your mouth feel weird and kind of numb. So, huh. yeah, it, it's a but it's a neat environment. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of little like where Han and Greedo met those little areas where the tables are. There's a bunch of those lining the outer edge of the cantina. There's a couple stand up tables you can go sit at. And then there's the actual bar itself, which doesn't have seats at the bar. Uh, but everybody's kind of crowding around it. And there's creatures back there. There's warts. Uh, that are up top. You see a little <laughs> wart creature like in a case up there and stuff bubbling all over the place. Uh, and the drinks are pre-made, just so everybody knows. The drinks, they're like pre-made in like containers and they just dispense them by pulling down a handle. So it's not hmm. like the bartenders are getting back there with a the shaker and doing the gotcha. full thing. Right on. Did you get a chance to have the blue milk? I did have the blue milk. I did. Mm. Uh, so over in the first order area is the milk stand. And the blue milk it's it's like a cold slushy. I didn't expect it to be so slushy. It's you know very, it's yeah. It just has slushy consistency. It's kind of fruity. Um, it's got a weird mouth feel. It's kind of thick jelly like. It's huh. like like a smooth slushy jello. Um, the mouth feel is the weirdest part, but it's good. It's I wish the portion <laughs> was a little bit bigger for eight dollars. But the blue milk is very very good. Super tasty. I didn't get a chance to try the green. But I'm hearing from a lot of people that the green is not their favorite. Definitely go blue. But I'll find out this weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 uh, very interesting to know. So, yeah, I mean, just just hearing you speak about this and I assume anyone listening to this episode that hasn't checked out Galaxy's Edge is is uh, going to be chopping at the bit all the much more from from hearing the way you're relaying it, which uh, it, it just sounds fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like I said, every detail you're living it, you're you're eating it, you're breathing it. Oh, and the food. Do you want to get into the food real quick? Yeah, let's hear about the, the food. The food was crazy. So uh, Docking Bay 7 is their big eatery. They also have Ronto Roasters, which is where they have the, uh, it's more of a quick service counter, uh, counter service type thing where you pick up these, I would say a space hot dog. It's like a nice sausage in a pita bread with slaw and like pulled pork. Really good, really high quality sausage, but it's like $13 for the equivalent of a gourmet hot dog, which is a little pricey. Um, but at Docking Bay 7, they have more, it's more their like sit down restaurant type deal. 
it, it's still kind of a counter service, but it's just their bigger eatery. But they have stuff like plant-based Ithorian roast, <laughs> which is like a meatloaf that's a vegetarian meatloaf. And that was delicious. Uh, the Kadu ribs. It's a plate of ribs. But the thing is, the Imagineers had the butchers design a specific cut. Well, not design, but find a specific cut of the pig to use for these ribs. So when you're eating them, it doesn't feel like you're eating normal ribs. And when you're done with what's left over, it is the weirdest looking piece of, I don't know what you, I like, yeah, I looked at it. I was like, okay, I definitely ate an alien. I did not <laughs> eat pork. I ate a kadu because whatever's left over is not of this world. So they do things, little things like that, like special cuts of the carrots. Uh, we ordered a hummus plate which had edible soil in it, oh, wow. uh, which actually did taste a little bit like dirt, but not in a bad way. I don't know a better <laughs> a better way to say that. Uh, but there was like a weird cut of a cucumber. I thought it was going to be celery by the look of it. And then I ate it with the hummus. I was like, oh, my goodness, that was a cucumber. That is the weirdest way to cut that. Huh. So they do these little tricks to make it to make, you know, earth food seem like it's coming from another planet. Wow. Yeah, that's that that's really taking it to a whole other level. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, uh, is there anything else about Galaxy's Edge that you'd like to share as far as? Uh, yeah, the cast members, all the like everyone at the, all the cashiers, everybody was so on point with the lingo and with their own story. Uh, when we ordered food, they look at your name on the receipt. And the one girl at Doc, car, yeah, Docking Bay 7, she, you know, looked at my name and I was like, oh, yeah, for Daniel. And she says, oh, no, this one says Visa. Is there a Visa around here? And she like really like played into it. And, and she's like, you know, cleaning up the counter. She's like, ah, silly off world. There's always leaving their messes. And you, like every little thing they do that comes out of their mouth is in character and on point. And like we were talking about the registers they've got. They've got these new fancy registers when you pay. And I was talking about the chip that can read. And I have BB-8 on my uh, Disney Chase card. And, you know, they said, oh, you look like you're a fan of droids. Looks like, you know, Mubo over at the Droid Depot would like to meet you over there. <laughs> and, you know, this is on the other side of the park. And they're referencing characters that run shops that you, know, that you don't even see. But they have this whole story built up that they live and breathe to make it feel like you live and breathe it while you're there. Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The level of detail with the, the cast was amazing, too. Yeah, that, that like I mentioned a minute ago, that just makes me all the more excited to go and see all this because, wow, it's 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 fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I can't wait to check it out. I'm sure that any anybody that's listening is probably feeling the same if they haven't seen it for themselves yet. And I assume that, you know, even though you've told me all these wonderful things about Galaxy's Edge, that once I actually get in there and experience it for myself, it's going to be ugh, quite amazing. Yeah, wor words don't do it justice. They really don't. Nice. Well, hey, Dan, oh, thanks so much for sharing uh, your experiences about Galaxy's Edge. I know that I appreciate all the hard work you put into your channel and all the coverage you've been doing about Galaxy's Edge and getting the word out there about, you know, what's what and what people can expect. So, uh, yeah, thank you for doing all of that. Oh, yeah, no problem. And thank you for having me on here. This is great. Of course. So I know that uh, when I finally get to uh, visit Galaxy's Edge for myself, I'll need to get you back on the show so we can talk about that, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, where can our listeners go to find you online? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Dano channel and on Twitter as well at the Dano channel. Fantastic. Dano, thanks again for coming on to the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. 
All right, so collecting has always been a huge part of what we do here on Victoria's Cantina and the Cantina Chatter podcast. I love toys. Tom Charlton loves toys. So please welcome Tom Charlton. Hello. I'm happy to be here, Victoria. I love talking about toys. Yeah, so I want to talk about uh, the latest in, uh, I was going to say Mattel Jurassic, <laughs> the latest in Hasbro Star Wars toys and collectibles. So um, obviously we both collect this line. There is still stuff going on. It's it's kind of a weird time because if you go to most toy stores, uh, meaning Target and Walmart, uh, at least in my area, those sections are basically dead. I haven't seen anything new in a very long time. Uh, what is the situation over like in your neck of the woods? Well, I live in, over in New York City, um, so it's more rare that I take a trip to an actual store because for probably since 2012, the stores wouldn't refresh very much. Um, so a couple of years after that, I had to start switching. I, like I, I was a Luddite that was like, all right, I guess I have to start buying online, which I didn't like because it's not as much fun. But then I could get the stuff because you, you go to the stores and there's not much there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most recent time that I went, I, I finally took another trip out. We'll get into the specifics of why I took that trip out. It was still it was an empty aisle. It was there was almost no Star Wars stuff. There was a few uh, Chewbacca's from um, from Target. I went to Target and there was the Chewbacca's mm. and maybe some of the resistant figures. But there wasn't really anything else in, for Star Wars in the aisle. Um, that wasn't just limited to Star Wars. That was all your major franchises were pretty empty. Um, there wasn't many Transformers, no Jurassic Park, um, a few Marvel figures. It was it was a very pretty empty aisle in general. Yeah, that's yeah. You know that despite the fact that you are across the country from where I am at here on the West Coast, that sounds very similar to what I am seeing here. Uh, I have at least let's see, probably four, four to five, four or five WalMarts within about twenty minutes of home. Uh, about that's a yeah, blessing. Yeah, three Target stores within that that distance, and uh, the situation is basically the same at all of the stores. I mean, my closest Walmart, they've had the same. Um, black series figures just kind of rotting on the shelves for the last like year it's like all basically that the most recent thing they have is like so the rogue one well the most recent thing they have is from solo it's like just you know like young han solo and then they have some constable zuvios and they're covered in dust and the corners are all worn like like the definition textbook of shelfware these guys have it and uh there's some extendable lightsabers above them no three and three quarter inch at this one walmart oh, None. Yeah. uh not galaxy of adventures not uh resistance uh no vintage collection that's basically that's literally all they have it's like maybe a foot and a half of space where it's just black, you know really all black series and these extendable lightsabers yep. but you know other walmarts do have vintage collection target has vintage collection but we're talking snoke we're talking gin or so we're talking things that we don't need we don't want they've been riding on the pegs for a long time and i mean have you seen the yak face wave or heard of anybody finding the yak no. face wave no every everyone ordered it online that there was no way to like this is the vintage collection has become a a like an online exclusive basically like you have to hunt it up through your online channels in order mm-hmm. to get it um, expecting to find this stuff at a normal retail store, I don't think is going to be something that's going to happen anymore. And that's a real bummer. Um, 
I found like the Enfist Nest Wave um, at a little store. It's sort of an international chain of, of. There's a few comic stores called Forbidden Planet. There's one in Rome, one in London, and one here. There might be a couple others, but it's pretty limited. And that's where I found that wave. Uh-huh. The vintage collection has died at the major retail stores at at uh, Target because, as you said, Snoke and Jin or so. That's what's left over. They don't get anything else. Um, GameStop ordered them for a little bit, and after that first wave, they said, no, no more, no yep. more of that, which is a real bummer for me because I'd rather just go to the darn store and buy it. Yeah. Um. But, you know, that entire first wave was all reissues except for Snoke. And there was what a uh, there was a rebel trooper for Empire Strikes Back, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. But even he showed up like at the Forbidden Planet store that I, I go to and he showed up and you can get him easily. Um, it wasn't a good wave. It wasn't a good wave. It wasn't a bunch of new stuff. Normal people didn't want didn't want to go buy it. Uh It's really unfortunate because, you know, we all clamored for so long for the vintage collection to return. Finally, Hasbro says, you know what, you guys are getting the vintage collection. And I I think the saddest part is they really are producing some of the greatest toys that we've ever gotten. I mean, think about the sail barge, the recent Jabba's Palace. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's effing incredible. It's amazing. No, I mean, Yak Face is, (sighs) is such a startlingly good figure. And even boring old green face Klaatu, he's great. They're all so good. But, yeah, they don't show up at retail. Yeah. So it's maybe Hasbro just needs to accept the fact that this becomes an online exclusive and just do it like that. Yeah, I mean that would that would be fine. I mean it, it would it would be better than seeing you know all these these Snokes and Genersos riding on the pegs because it's it's really sad. And you know if if this if this Yak Face wave would have been the very first wave of Vintage Collection, I don't think we'd be seeing that. No, no, certainly not. No, Yak Yak Face was absolutely incredible. I don't remember what the, what were the other characters there. There was a Yak Face. There was Klaatu. Mm-hmm. There was what Leia Bouche, right? Scarif Stormtrooper. And Scarif Stormtrooper, right. I didn't choose to buy those ones, uh, uh, Scarif Stormtrooper and Leia Bouche, because, well, I'm sort of regretting it now. But, um, because I already own Scarif Stormtrooper from the uh, old Black Series mm-hmm. wave. But I really do need to get that Leia yeah, Bouche. Yeah, you... I mean, I need, I need her. I need her for the Jabba's playset. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Can we talk about Jabba's playset? Yeah, let's talk about Jabba's Palace Adventure playset. Okay. So... That is amazing. That is just like Jabba's uh, sail barge, and also theoretically like the Death Star. That's what I've wanted since I was a kid. Doesn't mm. need to be big, but just these little tiny. All right, so that's three walls of awesomeness with Jabba's mm-hmm. adventure palace playset. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's modular. Um, the price tag was amazing. It was fifty bucks which these days is great because you get two of the vintage collection figures in their packages. So that's $25 there. So you're basically spending $25 yeah. on the playset. Yeah. And it's yeah, gorgeous. It's, it's, it looks amazing. It's so much fun. It is. I love it. It is. And we, we got to go back to the box, the packaging for this thing because I'm it's I'm looking at beautiful. it right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what my microwave, my, uh, that's what my microphone is propped up on right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. it's so good. I mean, it's 
I can't wait for them to come out with, you know they're going to do the Jabba's throne room, right? I hope so. I mean, it's been a long time. I still have the the, the dais or the dais from, uh, you know, 2010. I don't have the Jabba anymore from that, but I have I still have the, the throne with, you know, all the pillows and salacious crumb and all that stuff. But... I mean, yeah, it's a very popular piece. It's one that was pretty hard to find at the time. I only ever saw it once at Walmart. I'm glad I picked it up. But um, oh shoot, really? It's yeah, it's it's going for a lot on eBay. I mean, I think it's like well over a hundred bucks at this point. Are you so, kidding me? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, and it needs to be re released somehow. Like, I mean, this is a this is great. I love the Jabba's Palace Adventure set uh, for what it is. I really can't rave highly enough about it at all, but. Um, it, it, it really feels like it should be just one piece of a larger expansion. And I think some, somehow redoing Jabba's throne with Jabba the Hutt maybe and maybe another couple wall sections would really flesh out that scene. Oh, my God, it would be good. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, just the way that the engineering behind it is is great. I mean, the whole thing, it might not look as detailed as, as the, as the uh, sail barge, but... Uh, it still has the same, you know, really detailed sculpting. It still looks awesome. Uh, it's it's painted very adequately, uh, you know, especially like, as you noted, the price point is pretty great. And uh, just being able to interact uh, with uh, the Han Solo and Carbonite block and, you know, those figures and uh, uh, and the two um, the two busts that are. That oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Amazing. The, the Tauntaun and then what is it, a gerba or something? Yeah, I, th- I think that's what it's called. It's gerba. amazing. It's amazing. Here's the thing about the detailing and the sculpt. This is more detailed and more sculpted than anything I would have grown up with. So, like, yeah. the rest of it doesn't need to be the sail barge. The sail barge is kind of its own artistic thing. Uh-huh. Let's have the rest of these things just be, like, simple modular pieces that you can put together and craft a little scene and be happy with. And you could buy a dozen of them if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's the other great thing about it is that, you know, it's, it's great as it is, but if you did want to buy another one, you could definitely augment that, you know, the singular one by extending the walls out and, you know, just making it like it's this really cool, like, arcade or something. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. It's so much fun. And um, so you've opened yours, right? I have. I opened it today. Uh, I was going to shoot a review, but then I got a little bit busy with things as, you know, we talked about earlier and... Um, yeah, oh, I'll probably the, try and... the, hmm? the, the, the dead person. Ah, uh, yeah. I told you not to talk about that on the what? show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great though. I mean, uh, yeah, I opened it up and I, I haven't opened up the figures yet. Um, <gasps> it, that... th- that's kind of hard. I mean, I do have that Han already. Okay. So I have Reese and I have Han, uh, the Han I have from, from the black series line is, it has it has the worst paint you'll ever see on a Han Solo figure. I'll send you a photo of it one of these days. But um, yeah, this is I need to open them because I mean it, it's a perfect replacement. It just you know you have that vintage packaging and it's like uh, no no scared. no 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 hang on hang on hang on you have the Han Solo figure already. Yes, with don't the carbonite open. block. Yeah, don't don't open the new one then. You haven't seen what my Han Solo from Black Series looks like. <laughs> really? Is it that bad? You know what? I'm going to pause right here and I'm going to go grab it and send you a picture right now. Okay, it's actually kind of hard to get to right now from where it's at. So what yeah. I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up my review video. Oh, all right. I'm going to show you a screen cap. This is a kind of an ancient review by today's standards. Oh, my God. Okay. 
<laughs> this is awful. I forgot how bad it actually was. Jesus, really? I'm really excited yeah. to see this now. All right. Let's see. This is from March 2016. So I'm going to show you what this thing looks like here. So I'll send it to you, the photo right here. All right. This is my Han Solo from the Black Series 3 3 quarter inch that I reviewed in 2016. Check it out. Okay. Oh, f <laughs> okay. Told ya. Okay. So open up your new one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think in general, that was a really poorly painted figure, but I think mine's probably worse than most. Yep. I would say so as well. But yeah, so the Jabba's Palace uh, adventure <laughs> set, it seems that... It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It, yeah, yeah. My intention is to get it set up uh, alongside... I still have the Rancor that I've never taken out of the box. So my intention is to set up a shelf for for it in the Rancor and um, put them alongside each other. How have you not pulled <laughs> that out and played with it? Well, that's that's uh, those are the joys of limited space for displaying stuff and collecting you know not only star wars but you know jurassic, jurassic park, park and yes. marvel legends and ninja turtles and <laughs> ghostbusters and batman and final nation and odds and ends here and there so <laughs> nerd so a little bit um <laughs> but yeah so so this thing has sold out it was only available online for a little bit people pre-ordered it i pre-ordered it and then it went back up maybe a month or two later i think and it only lasted like a, an hour or something and uh, now it's not even like listed on the website. Like I think now if you go to the website and you click on that, um, all it says is, it says this item is no longer available. That's all. That was what I was worried about. So I'm glad I got one. I am too. And, and you know, I, I know we talked about this too. I kind of wish I would have gotten the second one just because after opening it up, I really realized, you know, that, you know, it's, it's really cool. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have extras, even of those figures, great to have extras of those. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Vintage Collection, uh, another release that was recently put out there, uh, we have two Target exclusives. One of them is the Vintage Collection Han Solo Stormtrooper. Uh, so this is basically a, uh, a new figure of Han Solo in his Stormtrooper disguise that you can get at Target. And uh, it has the figure. He's got photo reel on his face. Uh, his face, it's actually a new sculpt. And uh, it looks like they reused uh, the Sand Trooper body from a few years back. Um, but other than that, it's a very nice figure. Even There's even a little bit of silver paint on his gun looking at it right here. Um, yeah, did you pick this one up? I went to a, the, the, the local Target and asked the fellow if he could help me bring, bring the stuff from the back. And the Han Solo figure he brought back was this vintage collection one. I got the original um, Luke Stormtrooper figure um, back when he came out in like 80, 84 or 85. And I was, I was part of that group that was really bummed out that we didn't also get the Han Solo figure as well. Uh -huh. So this is, this is also an example of that where I'm like, well, gosh, I'm really excited to get this. Like, when they came back out with the, um, in the Power of the Force 2 line, you remember the, um, like, like the, the, the Lay's potato chips you could send away for to get Han Solo? That was Spirit of Obi-Wan, the Lay's was, that was, um, that was Spirit yeah, of Obi-Wan. Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops Fruit was Loops. the Fruit Han Loops. Solo. But, oh, Fruit Loops. All right. That was the Han Solo. I remember getting very excited about that then. So getting this now, it, it's a similar sort of thing. I know that we've had Han and the Stormtrooper outfit before but 
this this is on, on the vintage card. It's really delightful. Um, as far as the paint sculpt goes, this looks like Kylo Ren. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I agree with that. It does. Look... It's Kylo. It's Kylo Ren. That looks like Kylo Ren. I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times at a couple of Target stores. So it is nice that you know they actually have it. And uh, the other one is the six inch black series Luke Skywalker Death Star Escape. So. He's in his Stormtrooper outfit, and it's interesting how you have Luke and Han in Stormtrooper, but they're in different scales. I kind of feel like it's a little strange. It's a little weird. You could have you could have coordinated that a little bit better, Hasbro. But how amazing is that? And is that new Black Series one? How amazing is that? Oh, it it looks fantastic. Um, it's, he's got brand new head sculpt. Uh, he's got photo reel. He's got uh, his blaster and the the de- the deco on him is 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 gorgeous. It's just like really nicely applied. It looks muddy. It looks grimy. It's and he's got the calm link and I've got him right here and yeah. I mean I I feel like maybe the eyes just look a little funky. But the ones I've seen in the stores kind of look like that too. Like the eyes just look a little weird. But yeah. Um. The f- yeah, the, that- fo- the photo real stuff is making. It's not perfecting everything yet. Right. It's really it's a it's a lot better, but like the um the the eyes are still a little not quite real. Yeah, like looking at it right here, I kind of feel like I don't know the the eyes almost look like they're mispainted. But when I go to the store and look at them, they kind of all look like this. I don't know, and the lips are weird too because his upper lip is like really dark and his lower lips kind of pink. So it's a little funky. But yeah, so. Uh, interesting stuff and uh, the other thing I want to mention of course too we want to talk about is the retro collection so this was something that you covered over at um, New York Toy Fair this year Uh, Hasbro is doing this brand new retro collection so it's basically recreations of the vintage figures on uh, reproduction vintage card back and uh, these are impossible to get. I mean, I mean, I know that you're lucky and you have them and all, so I'll let you talk about them a little oh, bit more, gosh. but I'm unlucky. I know. I, I'm so sorry. And I'm, I'm trusting the powers that be that are saying that they're going to be more prevalently available because I was someone that looked at these figures and I said to myself, well, that's really effing cool. Um, I'd already bought a bunch of the original ones the original ones on on vintage card backs um, and spent an awful lot of money on that. So when I get this, you know, $10 Darth Vader, mm-hmm. well, that's that's pretty darn exciting on, on this card back. You know, I'll say the rollout has really been pretty abysmal Awful. with these. Yeah, Awful. I mean, yeah, it's they went up online for pre-order a couple of months, like two or three months ago, right? I, it's It's been a right bit. Right after Toy Square, Toy Fair, straight yeah, yeah. away. Exactly. It's been a while. So they went up for pre-order and then uh, I never saw them when they were in stock for pre-order. So I missed out. And uh, from what I've heard, they went really quick. And then uh, that was basically that. They I don't know that they ever restocked them or maybe they did. And they also went out really quick, but not on pre-order, I don't think. Yeah. So that's that. that's too bad. And uh, same thing with stores. I mean, you know, they've They've been cleared out locally. Like you look on BrickSeek and there's nothing. Like I, I've even heard rumors that, that maybe they're not going to get any more, that it was maybe like a one-time thing, uh, which I hope's not the case because I really wanted a set of these. I've, I've heard that they're going to be more prevalently available later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, they started off as a Target exclusive. 
but that's not going to be the case. They're going to, uh-huh. yeah, you're you're going to be able to get them later. But I don't want to wait. Fairness, I know. You know, I, you know, I I always say, you know, be patient. Usually, toys eventually they're easy to get. There's not a whole lot out there that's really rare, and if you're patient. You know, you should be able to get pretty much anything that has been mass released, um, including exclusive items. But lately, I've kind of been changing my tune a little bit because like we were talking about with the Jabba's playset, sure, it might come back later in the year. But I mean, what guarantee is there? And things like these retro figures, I have heard that they're going to be released through like Entertainment Earth and Big Bad Toy Store, places like that. But for one, you got to You're going to have to wait till this fall. And too i mean what if they change their mind and you know it's just like i always say buy on site if you see something you know it's it's better not to risk it you know just grab it but if you don't see anything to begin with i mean you're in a really you're quite a bit of a pickle yeah i think i I certainly think that's the case um i'm hoping that these retro figures become more available to other people Okay, so I think we pretty well covered these um, these latest releases in Star Wars. Is there anything else you want to cover or anything else we haven't touched on uh, that's made recent uh, Star Wars toy news? Well, one of the, the really cool things that happened recently was the uh, fella from Retro Blasting. So back when the sail barge was announced, all the, the toy sites that I think you and I followed were really heavily a- a- advertising for it, and they were very excited about it. And I was totally on board with all of that. And the uh, YouTube site Retro Blasting, they didn't like that as much. Yeah, so uh, apparently uh, one of the uh, supporters of Retro Blasting, one of the Patreon supporters, uh, expressed his difficulties in getting his sail barge sent to him in Australia. So uh, I guess he was going to have it shipped to him, but then the distribution service that he was going to be using, the shipping service said that the box was too big, so uh, they would need to have uh, arrangements made for it to be, I guess, collected, or they would have to dispose of it. So he reached out to Retro Blasting, and uh, they put out a couple of videos trying to figure out, you know, what they were going to do, and to express, you know, their frustration really with the way the way that Hasbro, you know, rolled out the sale barge and not letting people get it. Which I think it did go on eBay, didn't it? Uh, later on, like a couple months after, uh, didn't it go up on eBay for international buyers for a short while? Yeah, well, it, it went on inter- international for about five minutes. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I paid attention to when it showed up there, and it turned out that okay, so. I really believed when Hasbro came out and said, we're going to open this up to international people. We're going to do it. Don't worry, guys. It's going to be fine. I was one of the guys that would go in there and be like, don't worry. Come on, guys. Canada, Australia, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be good. Yeah. And then when Hasbro did it, they had like, I think, 400 units Mm -hmm. for everyone else on the planet other than the United States. Yeah, that's that's 400. crazy. That's crazy. It was it was startlingly incompetent and awful and heartbreaking. And I'd really bought into it. I'd really thought, no, these guys are good. I thought they were going to have 2000 units. 2000. Right. At least 2000. Yeah. And that's going to yeah. be a t- tough buy-in to get it, but it's, you know, 2000 you're good. Those 400. Jeez. Um so th- this fellow in Australia he sent it to Retroblasting instead, and the guys at Retroblasting, uh, Michael and his his wife, they they flew it out to 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 give to him. 
That's amazing. It's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. That's got to be a first. I I haven't heard of anybody traveling, uh, escorting a barge to its destination or really, I mean, if you think about it, any big toy, it's like, that's, that's, that's got to be a first. Oh yeah. What a nice thing to do. And here's the thing we have to think about. How many other people lost their barges because the international shipping service that they thought was going to work didn't work out? Yeah. How many other people lost it because of that? Exactly. And we know of this one, but yeah. there's probably more. Yeah. There's probably more in the same situation. He made a video where he um, didn't agree with how Hasbro was doing the sell barge thing. And I didn't agree with his stance on that at the time. Uh-huh. But in hindsight, I think he was right. You know, he said that there were a lot of lot of uh, uh, sites out there suggesting you do all these other things to get your thing shipped internationally, and it didn't work out. We only know about one that didn't work out. Right. I think there's a lot of others. Yeah, yeah. It's really a, a really crazy story, and um, you know, uh, props to him for you know taking the initiative <laughs> and trans uh, escorting it all the way to Australia. Australia. That's that, yeah. that's just insane. But it's it's pretty awesome as well that. You know, in, in this little hobby of ours that, you know, that I mean, ultimately, to most people, it's probably such a, a minuscule thing, you know, to be collecting toys. Oh, oh, you collect toys? Why? You know, it's a lot of people probably don't even get it, but uh, we get it. And to actually see somebody, you know, in this whole toy community, um, you know, do that, you know, such an act of kindness is just freaking awesome. Yeah, it was a very, very nice thing for him to do. And uh, from my 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 time watching his channel. Totally in line with what he'd be like. It was, it was, it was a, it was a very nice thing. Very nice video. Totally. Well, Tom, it's been great talking the latest in Star Wars toys. Can't wait to do it again in our next uh, episode. So, uh, before we leave off here, where can our Cantina denizens go to find you online? Oh, you can hunt me up at my Twitter account. You can find me at at Woozlin Demon, um, or you can find me on Facebook with you know Tom Charlton. I'm the one that you know has Star Wars pictures in my profile photo. Nice. Very cool. So I will throw a link down in the show notes. Uh, if you want to follow Tom, uh, his posts are great. He's pretty hilarious. So definitely do oh, yourself thanks. a favor and uh, give him a follow. I'll also include a link over to the Retro Blasting YouTube channel. So go ahead and visit them as well and subscribe. Once again, a huge thanks to Dan O and Tom Chorlton for contributing to this episode. Be sure to visit them online via the links in the show notes. With this renewed focus and energy for Cantina Chatter, I'm totally excited for the future of the show. I've got some fun topics lined up for upcoming episodes that I hope you'll enjoy, so stay tuned to see what's brewing. If you aren't already, subscribe to the place it all started, the Victoria's Cantina YouTube channel, where I review new toys and showcase retro toys from the past. You can also follow us for news and updates on Facebook by looking up Victoria's Cantina, toy photography on Instagram at Victoria's Cantina, and a constant drip of toy-related and other random and nonsensical tweets on Twitter at VixCantina. If you're so inclined, we are on Patreon, Gain greater access to Victoria's Cantina by becoming a Patreon Cantina patron. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll help to keep the show going and also get exclusive content such as access to a private Twitter feed, early access to toy reviews, and behind the scenes featurettes. 
And if you can't, but you still wanna help us out, one of the easiest and most helpful things you can do is leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute, so hit that five-star rating and leave a note stating why you enjoy the show. It'll make us more visible on iTunes and help others to find our show. As always, I'm Victoria, and no matter where you're listening out in the galaxy, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the Cantina Chatter Podcast.